being broody, desperation for a baby. Some men, as well as some women, experience this whilst others go through life happily childless. When someone wants a child but can't have one, it can become an obsession with the reasons behind the unrelenting feelings of desperation being complex. But what if the reason you want the child is to save a relationship, a band-aid baby, if you will? How far would you go to achieve your goal? This is the case of Taylor Morton, and this is Murder Me on Monday. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Murder Me on Monday podcast. I'm Cameron, and joined with me is Mother. Hello. And a big thank you to Helen, who managed to subscribe to our podcast host and our patron at the same time. So that kind of makes you two tier two things. So you're kind of like a tier four, but currently the best one. Yes, elite level. Elite so thank level. you for that. And thank you to the rest of you for the continued support over on Patreon. By becoming a patron, you not only support our efforts, but also gain access to extra perks, such as access to early episodes, bonus content, and even stickers should you want them. Just drop us a line when you're signing up. If you can't join Patreon, please do continue to rate and review, as it really does help us. So some of you that have been listening to us for a while may or may not remember that we did something called the case autopsy, which is we kind of give the details of the case, have minimal shit from me in the middle of it, and then it will be kind of pushed towards the end. So we discuss it. We're going to be kind of doing something similar again, but over on the Patreon. So for the other people that are listening, it's going to be no different. But the people that are on the Patreon are going to get like an extra 10, 15 minutes extra content at the end, sort of more erroneous chat at the end about the case specifically. So some people may enjoy that. This episode was a request by Kelly. I would like to say thank you for suggesting it, as due to the usual COVID excuses, it wasn't one I knew. But I discovered it is a deeply disturbing case and may be hard for some to listen, as it involves fetal abduction and a child's death. So we understand if you dip on this episode and we'll see you the next time. The trial was not televised, nor any documentaries. I wasn't sure I had enough information for an episode until I struck gold with ktalnews.com and from a reporter who is amazing called Carolyn Roy. The website is a dream to use too. However, this case will give me nightmares, I'm sure. We are off to a place called New Boston in northeast Texas, called a city but a population of 4,600. It is about 14 miles west, I believe, from Texarkana, which is a name I still find amusing. Apparently, it's an amalgam of Texas, Arkansas and Louisiana, although a lot of people don't agree that's how the name came about. To me, it sounds at least if it makes sense. There is another Texarkana in Arkansas as well, just to confuse matters further, and they're both twinned. It is October 2020. We are still in the early stages of COVID, although we don't realise it. Rules and restrictions change constantly. It's a strange time for everyone, but especially for Reagan Hancock, being almost eight months pregnant and probably having no idea who would be allowed to be with her when she had her child. And visitors being restricted, shopping for the newborn would be hard too, with no one knowing most of the time what shops would be allowed to open, although Texas was less restrictive than a lot of places. I was astonished to find out in November of 2020, the morgue in El Paso was so overwhelmed by the number of people dying from COVID-19 that the inmates from the county detention facility were being brought in to assist with the overflow of bodies awaiting autopsy. 
Oh, I don't like the sound of that. No. There's a reason why more tired women over men. Yeah, we know that. And one. I don't like. I don't like that. That was most prisoners are men. I don't like that. That's weird. Uh, well, the inmates worked earning two dollars an hour. These were low-level offenders, and they were part of the detention facilities trustee program. It's probably pretty high, actually, for inmate earning. Yeah, but still, the risks to that. No. COVID aside, Reagan was happy and excited. Born on the 14th of November 1998 in Arkansas, she got engaged in July 2019 and later married to Homer. And with a three and a half year old child already, they were both looking forward to meeting their daughter's newest sibling. They had already named that child Braxlin. And if the due date of the 2nd of November was correct, other places mentioned the 10th, either way, she should have arrived before Reagan's 22nd birthday. She had a job, as did Homer. Reagan was just about to go on maternity leave. I know Reagan had two brothers and two sisters and a mother. Don't know about the father. Reagan and Homer, like a lot of people, had an engagement photo shoot. I suspect she found the photographer on Facebook as she and the photographer became friends online and offline too. The photographer was Taylor Morton and went on to do the couple's wedding photos too. 10 a.m., Friday the 9th of October 2020, a Texas trooper stops a speeding car that was being driven erratically. The woman driving had a baby in her lap with the umbilical cord still attached and leading back into the woman's underwear, all indications of having just given birth. The woman told the trooper that her newborn baby was not breathing. The trooper tried to perform CPR but could not revive the baby and called for an ambulance. They get to hospital and medics worked hard to try and revive the baby without success. 20 minutes later, at 10.20am on Friday the 9th of October, a 911 call to the new Boston police. It's Reagan's mother. She was screaming that somebody had killed her baby. She had gone to her daughter's house and found Reagan dead in a pool of blood and her toddler granddaughter alone. Police respond, and to their horror, it becomes quickly apparent that Reagan's death was no accident. A large amount of blood was noticed throughout the house, on the floor, furniture, walls, just everywhere. Reagan was found lying face down on the living room floor. After learning Reagan was approximately 34 weeks pregnant, just six weeks away from a full-term pregnancy, paramedics were asked to check the status of the unborn child. When EMS turned Reagan over, a large cut across her abdomen from hip to hip was revealed and it was determined the baby had been removed. When reports spread amongst police channels later that morning that a woman had been found dead and a baby had been removed from her body and then kidnapped, police returned to the hospital where they had taken the previously mentioned woman from the traffic stop with a newborn baby and after asking the medics, they discovered that the woman had not given birth to the child that had been brought in. It had not survived. Do they just have an inkling about that? Yeah. Just a gut suspicion? Yeah. So they arrested her on suspicion of murder. It was the photographer, Taylor. And the lies start. That's an incredible turnover from the, the crime happening to them being caught. That's seemingly like a day. It was, I believe, around 1 p.m., so she'd been found with the baby in the car at 10 a.m., so five hours. 
I don't know if that's just really impressive police work or just really bad from her managed, managing to get caught. I should imagine that spread like wildfire. This Those is... paramedics would have been traumatised as well. How yeah. often do you... They're pretty... They're exposed to pretty harsh things on a regular basis anyway, but never mind finding a woman that's just been murdered. You turn her over and she's had her baby removed. Yeah. As I said, uh, Taylor is in custody and the lies start. She reportedly confessed to the murder and kidnapping, saying she used a small scalpel to remove the baby and left the scalpel at the scene. She told police she didn't know Reagan well. She only knew Reagan by her first name and thought that they were the same age. She was actually older than Reagan by about six years, not that it matters. Taylor Renee Morton Parker. I think born in 1993. No, almost nothing about her background is my go-to phrase. But I did manage to find out some things. She went to school in a place called Mount Pleasant in Texas, about 50 miles away from New Boston as our starting point. Taylor had a younger brother. Her parents split in 2005 when Taylor was 12. They took an unusual path to dealing with child custody. The children stayed in the house, the family home. The parents would swap houses every week. That's fucking weird, isn't it? Swapping houses rather than just take the child to and from a different house. Why did the parents go in that time? I don't know. They've definitely got houses to stay at. Bring (laughs) the kid. That's weird. I learnt from your sibling, Cameron, that this is called bird nesting. It makes absolute sense. Yeah, I guess keeping a kid in one space, they go to the same school or whatever, is nothing weird. I get it, but it's weird. Yeah. It didn't work, this swapping who was in the nest, nor did the other things they tried. And the children were bouncing between mum, dads, grandparents on both sides. According to mum, it was Taylor's father's fault it didn't work. But who knows? Eventually, Taylor's dad moved in with his mother and took Taylor, and the brother spent his time with the mum. Taylor's grandmother, on her father's side, was a big woman, liked her food. Taylor grew to like it too, but didn't like what it was doing to her body. By the time she was 14, she weighed 250 pounds. Being that big would not lead to a happy time in high school, would it? She gets pregnant as she turns 17 and drops out of school. The father is not involved when the baby is born in 2009. By 2014, Taylor hasn't lost the weight. In fact, she'd gained more, now topping out at around £300. It's causing her serious health problems, and so an aunt takes her to Tijuana for gastric bypass surgery in October of 2014. Taylor had been married twice, went by her maiden name of Morton, but also known as Taylor Wakasey and Taylor Parker, as the legal papers have Parker as her legal name. She had one child by her first husband, a son, and the daughter from her teenage years, and was currently living in a place called Sims, Texas, about 11 miles from New Boston. I wouldn't normally name a boyfriend, but he's significant. She was living with a chap called Wade Griffin, who was around about 33, I think, at the time this all went down. Apparently, he worked at Circle G Farms and Wild Hog Buying Facility, which was an agricultural cooperative that buys wild hogs for a meat processing plant. 
Whether the cooperatives was other farmers or just Wade and Taylor, I don't know. Wade had been working with pigs for about 20 years and had been working for the last six with a cooperative. I think it was a side hustle and that becomes clear later. In January of 2020, the couple and the farm were featured in an article in the Texarkana Gazette about feral hogs. To me, as a Brit, a hog is a boar, that big mofo with the tusks. But it's not in the USA. A hog is just another name for a pig. But looking on nine, they look like balls. So that's as far as my interest in that research went. Pigs are weird, though. If you put a normal pig, or a normal farm-raised pig, and you put them in the wild, they quite quickly turn into like a warthog-looking thing. Yeah. They kind of take over. <laughs> they go back to the roots and get a bit freaky with it. All hairy and the yeah. horns. and Yeah. Mm. So Wade, in this article, was talking about using pigs for human heart valve surgery and raising the animals for food. But Taylor seemed to have bigger plans. She tells the reporters, we are considering running a processing facility in Mount Pleasant for feral hogs only. I've had some conversations with larger organisations, particularly two heart hospitals who will want the hearts and heart valves we get. This would be a seven day a week around the clock facility. No explanation of where the money for running this facility was coming from. And it's a lot more complex due to all the medical requirements in using these valves for transplants. But it's an indication of what's to come. But Taylor had a bit of a history of telling porky pies. January 2014. She was sterilised after the birth of her second child. But it was the first child with her husband. This sterilisation was all agreed. But then in 2015, Taylor had surgery for an ovarian cyst. But when they opened her up, they found endometriosis and what is called a tubal pregnancy. We would call it ectopic. That can be hugely dangerous. And there was mention of this gastric sleeve surgery causing what are known as abdominal adhesions. Basically, when stuff inside gets fiddled with, organs sort of move about and try and create their own space and they end up sticking to each other. Surgeons speak to her husband and asked him to decide whether to go ahead with a hysterectomy. And he told the doctor to do what he would do for his own loved one. They basically said there is so much going on, we really should take the whole thing out. We don't j just take the cysts out. According to her first husband, Mr. Wakazi, Taylor flew off the handle when she woke up from surgery and learned that her uterus and one ovary had been removed. She wanted to know why they did not wake her up so she could make the decision for herself. And whilst I agree with her, I do wonder if they did explain all the risks when she was going under and she just ignored it as in didn't want to hear or simply did not understand and didn't ask for clarification as she was the smartest person in the room. I can see why she's pissed, though. They're, they took her agency from her about a pretty serious decision. But it's like, well, what is your alternative? Because you're going to have to have that anyway, because you'll probably die from it anyway. So it has to come out. I get that it wasn't her choice, so you can be pissed. But it's a, it's one of those things, unfortunately. They do usually warn you when you're going in for surgery. If we find something else inside, we are not going to wake you back up. The only time they ever sew you up and wake you back up is when they open you up and go, oh, we can't do anything. Yeah, or that wasn't something we expected. Yeah. So her mother was there when the doctor asked her husband what he wanted to do. He's The husband's her next kin. The mother agreed with the decision that they made. 
and said that the option to wake Taylor up just wasn't there. And afterwards, their relationship was changed. But it took a while for her to realise and admit it. And it took some prodding on the stand to get the following out of her. Do you think the husband kind of shirked the responsibility by putting it on the doctor saying, do what you do for a loved one? Yeah. It is a slight dodge. Yeah. I think he would then want it to be removed as well, but it's a slight dodge. So then if she is pissed, it's kind of not at him. Is that the doctor? Because the doctor's the one that decided, well, this is what I would do. Yeah, you're exactly right. I believe so. According to her mother, in court testimony, Taylor later texted her mother, can I have your uterus? Her mother responds with, what the fuck? Why? Do you think it's detachable? Taylor responds, well, it would be a hist for you. No more period, etc. Slovak would just take it from you. And yes, it's detachable. Cut here, slip there. Same as you all did to mine, lol. Her mother just responded, y'all. No date is given for that exchange and assume Slovak was either the surgeon's name or maybe a derogatory name given to him. No idea. Gut instinct is to say that she's thick. She's definitely not. That was attempted guilt tripping. I don't know the dates of her marriages, but in court papers I learned that she had a fake pregnancy with her last husband with the surname of Parker, apparently miscarried twins, and had asked two young friends separately to be surrogates. She told each of them her uterus had become eaten up with cancer and had had to be removed and had said she would pay all the costs involved and offered $100,000 when she came into money when her grandmother died. Just because I'm slightly unsure about the timeline, is this before she had the hysterectomy in the first place and she just wanted someone else to be... No. So th- this is post-hysterectomy then? Yeah, we're talking incredibly tight time scale. We're talking less than two years. Uh, just because of the first husband to second husband type stuff, I'm not sure when this is happening with the yeah. timeline. So it is after the hysterectomy. Yeah. Also... That's just a promise of future funds to come that might never happen. If you're the person and you think, you know what, yeah, fine, everything's golden. You think, I'm not going to I'm not gonna carry a baby, which permanently does change the woman. It's fucking stressful carrying a kid for nine months. For, for money, maybe at the end? No. Mm. Both these young friends were either pregnant or going through IVF at the time. And they thought her request was weird. Taylor also... It is weird. Yeah. Taylor also lost interest in her friend's pregnancy when she learnt that the baby was going to be a boy. The grandmother was well and had no intention of dying anytime soon and I don't think there was a scrap of money. Thankfully, that plan never came to anything. So, her first husband, they get divorced in March of 2018. She married the second husband, Mr Parker, within 11 days of that divorce. And that marriage lasted, I believe, about 14 months. Can I ask you a really weird legal question that probably can't be answered? If they if they went through with it and a contract was written up for $100,000 for the basically being a surrogate for the baby, and then there was no $100,000, do you get the baby back? What happens there? Because it was conditional and you give me the money. You ain't give me the money, so that's my fucking baby. I think there have been cases where... Because I don't think you can, in the same way that if a... Although, but maybe if... 
if when a man and woman get divorced and the, the husband paid for the breast enlargement, is, isn't, isn't there some weird stuff about that? Yeah. I don't think they actually have the right to take it from you, but they no. have the right that they can like make you give the money back for the equivalent because they can't like forcefully put you under. But what happens to the baby then? Because the baby can't make a choice. It's one of those weird things. I just I'd like to know from a lawyer what would happen in that instance. Yeah, I don't think that's been tested in court yet at any point. Taylor has two more fake pregnancies and are what are known as miscarriages. Myth, oh, miscarriages. Miscarriages, yes. And the ex-husband, Mr. Parker, tried to contact the brother of the latest boyfriend when he found out she was supposedly pregnant, but didn't get a response. Then Taylor meets Wade Griffin and then has one more fake pregnancy with twins when she first meets him. Notice there is a repeat of twins constantly this i've got no idea why she posts as they all do all over social media every single time scans which are easily downloaded and faked initially people are supportive and sympathetic for the myth carriages which is obviously the validation she needs but over time the word spreads that she cannot be pregnant but it doesn't get to the people that should know such as wade it's almost munchausen isn't it Bingo. Bingo. Wade, because he's excited, she's due to announce their pregnancy in February 2020 when she gets pregnant again. All the lies bother Mr. Wakazi, husband number one, that much. He actually uses a burner phone or one of those apps that you can use to send anonymous texts and tells Wade... It's funny how Taylor is pregnant, but every hospital within a 60-mile radius is watching for her because they're scared she's going to come in and steal a baby because there's no possible way she's pregnant, and they all know that because they've got all the hospital records. And the pattern repeats. And as they technically share custody of the son, the couple does have contact. Mr. Wakazi asks Taylor how it is possible for her to have gotten pregnant. Taylor's response, it's a miracle. All my stuff grew back. I know. It isn't the same with a guy with a vasectomy because sometimes that can happen depending on the technique they've used. Yes, they can. the tubes can rejoin. But when you've had the whole lot removed, it oh, doesn't yeah, grow. I know. It's a bit yeah. different between having the whole thing scooped out versus just you having a vasectomy. I, I don't think he believed her at all. But if she was joking or trying to convince him, I don't know. But still. Mr. Wakasey tries again. And texts Wade in September of 2020 saying, Taylor is not pregnant. Three days later, he tried again. I'm reaching out to you because I feel it is the ethical thing to do. In 2015, Taylor had a hysterectomy. She isn't pregnant. She can't get pregnant. She's a con artist and is lying to keep you around. I'm sure you haven't been to one doctor's appointment with her for whatever reason. Mr. Wakasey went on to tell Wade that the two ultrasound images Taylor had been sharing on social media were faked, with one being a scan from her pregnancy with her first daughter with her name and the name of the clinic cut off. He goes on to say in text, I don't do drama, not at all, but because I know for a fact she isn't pregnant and is running out of time, I had to reach out. Please be careful. She has lied about so much for so long. She has left herself in so deep she can't get out. I am concerned how far she might go with this. 
all hospitals are on high alert because she may go to the extent of stealing a child. This was all in text. Wade? Well, he wants to believe Taylor. So obviously he does the thing every good partner does. He screenshots the messages and sent them to Taylor, who immediately goes online and looks up home births. Wade is convinced that Taylor is pregnant. They hold a gender reveal party and decide the daughter that they were expecting was to be called Clancy Gale. And actually, he was meeting with Taylor at the hospital in Idabel, which is about 52 miles away from home, to have an elective caesarean section at lunchtime on the 9th of October 2020. I'm not even going to go into the why not travel together. You can't drive after a C-section. There'd be another car there. None of these people are playing with a full deck. I wondered where the heck the kids were in this mess. And you may not be surprised to learn that Taylor actually gave custody of her six-year-old son to her ex-husband and never paid him any child support either. She kept her daughter because, according to Taylor's mum, as an adult, that man job-hopped enough to stay ahead of any court-ordered maintenance and managed to avoid having had his wages garnished. So Taylor's been arrested, admitted the crime and is extradited back to Texas, the state that will not hesitate to execute. Really good planning, Taylor. October the 15th, 2020, Taylor, then age 27, appears in the district court in Bowie County and is formally charged with capital murder by terror stroke other family. There is a $2.5 million bond imposed. Murder with a $1.5 million bond and kidnapping with a $1 million bond. No money, obviously. So she sits in jail until January 2021 when she appeared in court again and formally pleads not guilty. And the prosecution say that they will be asking for the death penalty. June 2022. The jury summonses went out. 2,000 people they called on. They had to split the qualification sessions over two lots and use a high school auditorium to sit everyone. Jury selection started on the 1st of August. Takes a very long time to get through them all, but eventually they have one. Twelve jurors, evenly split, male and female, and two alternates. 12th of September 2022, the trial starts. Most of what I've told you comes out then, but also the autopsy. A crime scene investigator told the court that there was a bloody hairprint on the refrigerator below a series of ultrasound scans of baby Braxlin. Investigators found a child's bathing suit on the living room floor soaked with blood. They believe it may have been used to try and wipe something off. A child's nighttime pull-up nappy soaked with urine was found on top of the pool of blood on the living room floor next to the couch. The investigator believed it did not end up there until after the murder. The couch was also soaked with what they believed was the child's urine. Basically, the child soiled itself. Must have been a witness. There was a large blood stain on the edge of the couch with clumps of what appeared to be Reagan's blonde hair in it as if her head was leaning against it at some point during the attack. A blanket on the living room floor was soaked with blood and what it was believed to have been amniotic fluid. That was just a fraction of the scene. 
The medical examiner took over two hours to testify. Anyone a bit squeamish, skip five, ten seconds. Reagan was slashed and stabbed well over a hundred times, with 39 of them on her scalp alone. There were also multiple slashes around her neck. Reagan had five skull fractures and a broken nose, likely from a claw of a hammer as well as the blunt end of the hammer, in addition to fractures consistent with the bottom of a mason jar, which were all present at the scene. A scalpel blade used in the attack was found buried in Reagan's neck. One finger was dislocated and the tip of another was nearly cut off. Her hands showed extensive defence wounds included bruising, scrapes, stab wounds and cuts on her fingers and palms. Her death was as a result of sharp force injuries and blunt force injuries but concluded that they could not rule out the possibility that ligature strangulation contributed to her death as there were too many deep incisions around the neck to be sure. Other testimony included multiple, multiple fake personalities and email addresses and telephone numbers, fake murder for hire plots. She tried to make Wade believe that she was a millionaireess who could just not get hold of her money to pay about $5 million for a pecan farm because her mother was plotting against her and there was issues with banks and wire transfers. Remember, she hates her mother due to the hysterectomy. There was a fire under Wade's house, later determined to be intentional. Under? Under. A lot of American houses are up a bit, don't they? They have a crawl space underneath them. Wade's mother also knew that Taylor was a liar and was so scared for her son, she almost hired a private investigator to get to the truth, was too scared to risk her relationship with Wade. Taylor buys a car for Wade. It gets repossessed as the money isn't there, as the cheque was stolen or hot is how it was described to the court. If you're wondering how the heck anyone fakes a pregnancy, it's easy. Plug in moon bumps into a search engine. They are that good. There are some real eyebrows being raised about some celebrities and may explain why others always have their bumps on show with almost no clothing. Yes, Taylor had a moon bump. She also had customised fake ultrasound photographs, complete with custom gestation timing on it, the sex of the baby to a specific degree of certainty, as well as a clinic name and a doctor that all could be theoretically verified but were in fact fake. There were searches online, the watching of how to do C-section videos. There were digital forensics to prove Taylor used apps to make fake conversations with her grandmother and her aunt, which she would then screenshot and send the photographs back to her boyfriend to back up her deceptions. She would then delete the conversations from her phone in an apparent attempt to hide the evidence. The digital investigator told the court that Taylor used one of these spoofing apps to call in a bomb threat to the Titus County Hospital on the morning of her scheduled induction to cover the fact that it wouldn't take place. There was a real estate agent who took to the stand. Talks about a deal for $20 million. He said that Taylor claimed she was an heiress. 
he knew it didn't have legs, as they say. But somehow he kept trying to make the deal work, probably his commission. But at least for some of it, Taylor did have him believing her lies. I think that 20 million was probably for the hog farm facility. I could spend a whole episode on the trial alone, but there is so much more to tell. But I want to leave you with the testimony of one witness, which to me shows the depths of her hatred for her mother and also may give you an insight into Wade. The woman was a chiropractor who moved with her husband to Sims in the spring of 2018. The woman's husband was Wade's boss at Atlas Roofing, so pre the hog farming malarkey. The woman was suspicious how friendly Taylor was and how she overshared when she first met Taylor over dinner. Taylor told the woman that her mother had always hated her, never wanted her, resented her since she was born and mistreated her growing up. She also told the woman that her family had old money from owning lots of land and oil and gas leases and made a lot on royalties that all came in all the time. Her grandfather had gotten ill and couldn't farm his property, so she would go out there and try and help with the farm where no one else would. When she and Wade got together, she went to her grandmother and asked them about taking care of the land and getting it back to where it used to be. They made a deal to open an account in Taylor's name and direct royalties to it, but that money could only be used for improvements to the farm. At that point, the woman said she wondered how Taylor could have all that money and still have holes in her shoes and pants falling off her. If something happened to her, Taylor told the woman, then Wade would have control of the property. But Taylor said that her mother did not like Wade and thought he was just out to get her money. So Taylor's mother withdrew $3 million out of Taylor's account and took off with it. Taylor then tells her a tale of Mexican mafia out to get people and how this woman that she'd only just met was being watched constantly. It then devolved into secret police officers. Taylor's mother taking her own life and threatening letters to this woman and her husband and Taylor's mother turning up safe and well and no one batting an eyelid. There were threatening letters. They were that good that even the police knew something was off. They still felt they had to keep an eye on this couple. Again, you were left wondering how the heck anyone believed this. But Taylor seemed to have been a master manipulator and one of those people everybody just seemed to believe. Taylor did not take to the stand. But the jury saw the police interrogation videos of two interviews over five hours with multiple different versions of what had happened that day. One of which was that Reagan was badly hurt when they got into a violent physical confrontation and that Reagan begged her to take the baby because she was afraid she was dying. If you feel up to it, read the reports on that interrogation. The lies are astounding. The contradictions enormous. The trial took 13 days. Court only sat Monday to Thursday. The case was complex but thorough. The information they had on Taylor was enormous. The jury's heads would have been spinning at the end of each day, hence why the judge let them have Fridays off. They were not sequestered. Taylor's defence attorney spoke for a total of eight minutes in his closing arguments. 
He reminded the jury of the definitions he had told them at the beginning of the trial would be important and explaining how Texas law defines a person when it comes to kidnapping. He said, For kidnapping, it's a human being who has been born and is alive. It's our position that you can't kidnap someone unless you have been born and alive. Why well, said that, I don't know. It was proven Braxlin was born alive. His whole trial strategy was to basically call all the witnesses stupid and constantly ask them why no one ever questioned anything. They did, mate. You just weren't listening. He also asked one police officer why no one had ever reported Taylor. And as the officer rightly pointed out, faking pregnancies is not illegal and you can't arrest anyone for what they might do. That's minority report territory, isn't it? He also asked the jury to acquit Taylor of the kidnapping, but find her guilty of murder, asking them to take the evidence you heard and filter it and follow this law as the judge has given you and apply the law even if you don't like it. If supposedly Regan had given birth five minutes before Taylor had killed her and then took the baby, so Regan had just given birth yes. and then she steals the baby, Yes, that's kidnapping. Yes. So just because the baby is then inside Regan doesn't necessarily mean that it's not kidnapping because if, if you have just freshly stolen the baby that could have potentially have just been born, it's still kidnapping. Because he's attempting to say that, that the baby wasn't alive when it was born. Basically, or removed from the womb is what he's attempting to say. Yeah, but it was proved at autopsy it, they that did, the baby was alive. So what she's essentially breath. done is is have taken a baby from the mother. You've kidnapped the baby. If the baby had been born, it would be kidnapping. The baby was born, but it not in traditional means. It was taken from Regan. The baby was born. The baby was born alive, though. That's the difference. Yeah, I know exactly, and that's kind she of what I'm saying. She didn't remove it, and the baby had died already. The baby in autopsy, the baby had taken breath. Yeah, and that then wouldn't be considered kidnapping, but we know that it was. Yes, yeah, it was. If the ba- if the autopsy had said that the baby hadn't drawn breath, his argument would have held, but the autopsy did not say that. The jury didn't buy his argument and deliberated for less than an hour before returning a unanimous guilty verdict on all counts. The trial entered the penalty phase on October the 12th with the same jury, who then had to decide if Taylor should receive a death sentence or life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. This penalty phase takes 13 days, the same length as the trial. Lots of ex-colleagues of Taylor's testified all about her lies and her schemes. Prison officers testify to her games and schemes in prison, being top dog, terrifying other prisoners, a false confession letter or two. Yet Taylor's first husband had actually already testified on the stand what an adept forger of handwriting and signature Taylor was. The prosecution forensic psychologist said Taylor was not mentally ill and called the amount of scheming it took to pull off the lies, as long as Taylor's did, vast, extraordinary and impressive. Taylor had the DSM-5 textbook Full House, Narcissist, Sociopath and Psychopath, which is highly unusual for a woman. The prison therapist didn't like Taylor. She isn't opening up, isn't being honest and actually scared of Taylor at one point. 
Taylor reacted badly to being forced to keep the cuffs on and the therapist described what I interpreted as pure malevolence coming off Taylor in waves. The jury heard from a mental health counsellor who, off and on, had treated Taylor from August of 2016 to January of 2017. Taylor requested the service because of what she said was onset of multiple sclerosis, trauma and depression. The counsellor said she was shocked to hear Taylor was involved in the October murders. She added, how could I miss this? But said she did only treat what's presented to her. In cross-examination, the counsellor told the court that she did not see anything that made the symptoms inaccurate and also goes to show that if people are dishonest, no counsellor will be looking for that. The only defence witness of any note during this penalty phase was a neurologist who testified that Taylor had frontal lobe dysfunction. It may be it was MS, he suggested, as defence had raised that as an alibi via her mother, who testified that they at one point thought she had it. He said that the MRI scans and such showed that Taylor had a loss of nerves and they would never grow back. Yet the prosecution showed that a number of other doctors had testified that Taylor had a normal brain scan. The neurologist's rebuttal? They weren't looking for the same indicators I was. They were likely looking for stroke symptoms rather than an organic brain dysfunction. The defence attorney also tells the court and the prosecution that they are exaggerating the problems that Taylor has caused whilst behind bars. She's the victim here, guys. Those things included collecting contraband, passing notes, breaking the rules and plotting to frame a fellow inmate for the murder by promising money to other inmates in exchange for hand copying faked confession letters, finding fake witnesses and planting evidence. It doesn't stop. I have official documents. She is playing mum and dad off each other. Yes, daddy's back. First mention I'd seen of him. She is ripping prison-issued clothing and telling both parents that she needs new stuff and they are both sending her money. She isn't ripping the clothing to get new stuff. She's ripping it so it looks sexy. She just wants attention from anyone. Doesn't matter who. She tries to get both parents to message men on Facebook for her. There were people she either once knew or siblings of people she knows because she's lonely. The jury went into deliberations at 13 minutes past 11 and came back less than 40 minutes later with a request for a whiteboard and a series of exhibits that had been entered into evidence during the course of the trial, including Baby Braxlin's autopsy report, a puzzle book with hidden messages used in the alleged frame-up plot, and a prayer book or a Bible in which Taylor prayed God would put the blame on a fellow inmate. They also asked for transcripts and a handout prosecutors referenced regarding future dangers, but as they weren't entered into evidence, they couldn't be given to the jury. And jurors wanted to actually make sure that they were properly considering all of the special questions that they were told to ask as required by Texas law in order to send someone to death row. The jury didn't buy any of the defence's points, but they take a little longer this time to pass the ultimate sanctions. 90 minutes. 
The judge sentences Taylor to death and makes her stand to listen to the victim impact statements where the family finally got to tell her just what the impact of her actions were on them. The judge's final words after those statements to Taylor were, you can remove her and take her to death row. I assume there will be automatic appeals, but nothing heard yet. There are currently seven women on death row in Texas, including her. I've linked the information or else we'll be here until next week. The last woman to be executed in the US was Lisa Montgomery in January 2021. It was the first execution of a female inmate carried out by the federal government since 1953. And her case is a mirror of Taylor's case, except for the method of murder. She was convicted of using a rope to strangle an expectant woman to death and using a kitchen knife to cut the baby out. Afterwards, Lisa Montgomery tried to pass the baby off as her own. Let's talk briefly about womb raiders, as the press dubbed them. It's cringy, but accurate. The other more correct term is fetal abduction by maternal evisceration. It even has an acronym, FAME. The most current up-to-date research paper I could find was from October of 2022, and it gave the following information. From 1974 to the 5th of May 2022, there have been 36 incidents of fetal abduction reported worldwide. In all cases, abductors were women. Almost all the abductors were older than their victims. The first case of fetal abduction was recorded in the US in 1974. Now, this is not limited to just the US, this particular phenomenon. There are eight reported cases outside the USA. Three in South Africa, one in Colombia, one in Hong Kong, two in Brazil and one in Mexico. There are a few cases of survival. Just four women survived after what's basically a forced caesarean. Only 11 children survived the attacks. That first case, it's classic behaviour. It's repeated in all of these cases. It was recorded in Philadelphia. And the woman was called Winifred Ransom. And she met an eight-month pregnant woman called Margaret Sweeney. She befriended her, invited her to her home for lunch. And after lunch, she knocks her unconscious, cuts the baby out. When she victim regains consciousness, uh, Winifred bashed her around the head with something 20 times and then shot her three times and then stuffed her under the floorboards in a kitchen. The police arrested her after three days when her husband called them. He's like, where did this, this baby isn't ours. On the grounds of insanity, she was acquitted and released after 20 months in a mental institution. The testimony on the schemes and scams Taylor ran I could make this a three-part series. Most of it I've linked, but watch out for any documentaries anybody does on this as it will be a doozy. I'm not even going into whatever cluster B stuff she's got going on. It's a smorgasbord of personality issues. And according to the court, she is absolutely not mentally ill, which is correct. Personality disorders are not mental illnesses. We have again someone who left school early, never found a niche, she did that photography thing, even had a website, but couldn't make a financial go of it. She wasn't trained, but good enough that people did book her. She worked as a recruiter as well. I'm not going to cast any aspersions on them as I'm talking to quite a few, but 
she had a gift of the gab and could make people believe outright lies. She could probably have become a really, really good recruiter, made a lot of money. It's the same patterns we see over and over with these types. Could have been someone, just never was. So they turn to the most harebrained schemes and somehow think it will work. Speculation on why she did it. But she had this childhood that probably wasn't all sweetness and light until she was 12. You had that absolute mess of custody. Grandmother who smothered her with food as a love substitute, eating her feelings to 300 pounds. And an unplanned pregnancy as a teenager, which she probably mistook for love. Dropping out of school, no further education, then gastric band surgery and then the shit show of the marriages. Former friends, former co-workers, former employers, all knew they tried their best to warn people. The doctor who basically tied Taylor's tubes. Taylor got a job at his medical practice. It wasn't customer facing, but even he knew she was off. It got to the point she was posting these ultrasound scans that weren't hers and everyone got worried about HIPAA and was she accessing patient scans? That's, you know, that could have opened them up to a world of lawsuits. But then they realised how easy it was to fake them. And the doctor actually warned hospitals locally about her to make sure she didn't try and abduct a newborn. Exactly what her first husband told Wade, wasn't it? Both husbands knew she was a wrong one after a while. They both tried to warn people. The first husband warned Wade. The second husband warned a boyfriend. Don't think it was Wade. That one got away, luckily. Her own mother can't see what's wrong with her or probably can't accept she has a big part in how her daughter turned out. She even tried to coach her how to fake illness whilst in jail and also how to fiddle the system so she wasn't responsible for any medical bills whilst locked up. Then we have Wade. I haven't seen a picture of him, didn't look too hard, but even if he was made of solid chocolate dipped in gold, he couldn't have made me go to the lengths that she did to keep him. I don't think it was about him. It would have been any man she could sink her claws into. But why did he not listen to the warnings? Think about it from his perspective. He wanted to be a wild hog farmer and he probably could have made a very nice niche business over time. Yet along comes the pretty woman who convinced him she had a secret pot of gold at the end of her rainbow. Pretty. She's not unattractive. Just around a pound. No, she'd lost all of that, hadn't she? She, uh, she had the gastric surgery, yeah, I guess. Yeah. She made him dream big. The medical links. A pecan farm. Car that got repossessed. She would be his sugar mama, is where his brain went. He actually admitted it in the penalty phase. He didn't want to look too deeply into the lies and contradictions. And according to some, he really didn't love her. Just wanted his life the way he wanted it and she could provide it. The case in a nutshell. The defendant's main story to Wade and to others was that millions of dollars in this royalty money was flowing from the family land and was at Taylor's disposal. She would make promises to Wade regarding the purchase of cars, farm equipment, cattle, tractor, trailers and property. From Wade's perspective, each of the schemes would end in the same way in that Taylor's mother would somehow figure out a way to interfere with or destroy their plans. 
The reality was a complicated web of players and people involved in the fraudulent schemes. No, there wasn't. It was just Taylor pretending to be everyone else, including her own mother. How Reagan's family would get over this, I don't know. Homer moved in with his parents. He couldn't manage on his own and on one salary, that's to be expected. Reagan's sisters were devastated that she will not be at their weddings. Homer did file a civil suit against Taylor, but no idea what's happened with that. Unfortunately, when this happened, it all played out over social media. Tensions were high. The press caught wind of it and Reagan's mum went on the warpath about who had leaked details to the local press. And I can't blame her. People sharing gossip is normal, but putting it out there when hundreds of people can see it, when it's such a personal loss, is hard. But I do hope that some of it was useful to the prosecution, however. One thing that did strike me with the mess of a childhood that Taylor had, there was no mention anywhere of any therapy as a child. And maybe, just maybe, if she'd gotten the help to deal with her parents' divorce, none of this would have happened. And I absolutely agree with you, Cameron. I believe she suffers as well with a form of factitious disorder, Munchausen's. And I believe her mother has probably got some um, by proxy traits as well. So I've got a question to ask around Texas's sentence. Texas's? Around the sentencing that Texas has done. Yes. Around women that have um, murdered a woman and then stolen the baby. Are they the only women that are on death row? No. They've got many other. There's seven of them. Taylor is the most recent one. But I'm wondering, are there any other women on there that have done that? Because you said one woman was sentenced to death for something very similar. Well, she's been executed. There may be others. I, oh, by that point, I'd spent 11 hours on this, Cameron. Well, I'm, I'm just I wondering. I didn't look at the other women. <laughs> because they're they're as, in a link. Because as a society, we tend to punish people more severely for committing crimes that have uh, affected people that are more vulnerable as a result. Because we kind of intuitively go, no, that's bad. Yeah. Boo, we don't like that. You've, we kind of don't want that as a society for obvious reasons. Or is something that's especially immoral and heinous, such as murdering a child. In terms of like a tear structure, that's kind of towards the top or right at the top. Yeah. And then that's just not even factoring in the circumstances of how that child was killed or murdered. I, I not, know. not to mention like a completely innocent woman that's been killed. And then as a consequence, the innocent child has then been murdered as well. Yeah, vulnerable. It's, it's the vulnerability of someone, isn't it? And a pregnant woman is incredibly vulnerable. It's almost kind of similar to how the people that are scammed the most via the phone lines or anything, or even email, elderly people. But as soon as you do anything over the phone, it's immediately wire fraud. So they kind of get sent to like a federal at 20 years for people that have, are convicted of it. I actually talk about that in, I've got some interesting information in our Patreon exclusive bolt on. I don't know what we're going to call it, but we're going to cover about um, things around those those bases. But yeah. I'm not surprised her partners didn't initially suspect something because such a life-changing experience like having a hysterectomy would be something that you would tell a partner so you wouldn't default assume that someone has had one. You wouldn't assume someone's going to lie about being pregnant because who the fuck does that? One lie I believe she probably told Wade because he actually asked his mother when she'd had this gastric sleeve done. It's obviously a bit of a hatchet job as in leave surgery scars, not just keyhole stuff. And he actually asked his mother that would a gastric sleeve surgery stop Taylor from looking pregnant? Well, it's a different organ and everything gets moved. So... No, it wouldn't. And 
his own mother was like, no, she's not pregnant, son. And he's like... Well, just on the odds of probability, you're going to assume your partner isn't lying about that, aren't you? Yeah, you so want to believe. You, you kind of don't blame them for not believing it in the first place. But once evidence starts piling up, something's going to start smelling funny. They don't pass the sniff test. And that's when you have to investigate yourself. I'm not... It's not even a scrap of sympathy for people that do these kind of crimes. But I do wonder if they have an oops moment when they realise everything that they've done has all come to nothing because the object of what they were hoping to achieve, as in a baby to fake. She's already got kids herself, doesn't she? She yeah. already has kids, so yes. I don't I don't know what the thing is. It's not like a woman that was say, sterilised from a young age and has always wanted a child and they, they feel wronged by society or life as a whole, so they go and do these things. You've already got kids. What about, what about the kids you've got? It's a maternal oddity that I personally do not understand. It's it's a thing. People say, you know, why are you so desperate to have a third child, a fourth child, a fifth child? All I can think is it's hormones that drive it. I don't understand it. But with her, it wasn't about the child. The child was a means to an end. She absolutely wanted Wade. Everybody around her knew that she was into Wade and Wade, which I'll go into afterwards, he couldn't care. He couldn't care. He really didn't care. She told people that Wade had always wanted to be a daddy. Wade said, huh? I just want my pigs. It was a mess. It was an absolute mess. And I absolutely believe that if Taylor's parents had done what they should have done when they were bird nesting and gotten proper therapy maybe none of this would have actually happened. And that is the end of this week's episode. And finally, the victims, because there are two who should not be forgotten. Reagan Michelle Simmons Hancock, aged 21, and Braxlyn Sage. And that's a wrap on today's episode of the Murder Me Monday podcast. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Murder Me Monday podcast. Email us at murdermeandmondaypodcast at gmail.com. If you want to show us some support because you love us, you can find our Patreon in the description below. And those of you that are on the Patreon, hang around, because at the end we're going to offer some more information, background stuff about the case. And we'll see you next time. Peace. Peace.